0: Hello, Uniquely Kentucky listeners. I hope this episode finds you doing well. I have been away on vacation, recharging those batteries and enjoying, well, really just doing nothing. We're back, though, and we have some great guests lined up for the summer. Some things that I think are very unique, not only to Kentucky, but just to summertime as well. Over the years, I personally have covered some interesting stories when it comes to bourbon. And when it comes to the state signature spirit, business is booming right now. So sit back, grab your favorite Kentucky drink, and take a listen. From WKYT Podcast, this is Uniquely Kentucky. I'm your host, Amber Philpott. In Kentucky, there are three things that reign supreme, basketball, horses, and, of course, bourbon. It's summertime, and that means you might have more time to get out and travel the bourbon trail, drinking up all it has to offer along the way. Today, I am joined by Eric Gregory. He's the president of the Kentucky Distillers Association. Eric, welcome. You are a busy guy.
1: It's a good time to be in bourbon right now. There's
0: never a slow time with bourbon, is there?
1: No, there used to be, um, but it's on such of a roll right now that um, there... It like every week, there's something happening, and that's good for the industry, and it's really good for the Commonwealth.
0: I think it's funny because bourbon is something that you should enjoy slowly and sip it. But in your world, <laughs> in promoting it and the business behind it, it is rapidly ever changing. It's
1: it's moving off of fast. We have uh, we're right in the middle of a 2.3 billion dollar capital investment campaign in Kentucky right now. So every week it seems there's a new visitor center or distillery or a warehouse or something going in. Um, press conferences and events, and yeah, it's it's fantastic. We we. we you know, it's one of those good problems to have. We're happy to be this busy. It
0: is an industry that has been around a really long time. And Mm -hmm. so it's really exciting, I think, to see that it has sustained itself. And then you just, like every week, there's somebody new coming on board. And sometimes you worry about that because you're like, is this going to be a good product? And really, they just keep coming on and keep coming up with good stuff.
1: That's right. We now have more distilleries in Kentucky than we've had since the end of Prohibition. So. But here's the thing. We're actually, okay, so there are 1,835 distilleries in the United States. We have 68 distilleries in Kentucky with only about 40 distilling companies because some companies own multiple distilleries like Jim Beam. Um, We rank 11th in the country in the number of actual distilleries. And that is a little bit of a cause for concern for us because you have states like New York and California, Oregon, Washington, Texas, Colorado, that have more, you know, sometimes two or three many more distilleries than we do. If uh, you know, We still produce 95% of the world's bourbon, but what if some of those other distilleries really catch on, and that number slips to 90 or 85%, suddenly we've lost market share and image and jobs and investment, and so we're really doing, trying to do all we can to make sure Kentucky remains the one true authentic home for bourbon.
0: And how do you do that? Because like you said, you've got these people that are quick on your heels, how do you begin to do that? I know you spend a lot of your time out there promoting this industry, yes. doing everything you can, but, but how do we stay ahead of it?
1: Well, one of the biggest things is the legislature. We've got great partnerships in the past few years with the General Assembly, um, both Democrats and Republicans, and we can't pass a bill without both sides, so we're very nonpartisan when it comes to, to politics. Um, but we're really trying to update Kentucky's archaic alcohol laws because other states are doing that quicker than we are. Um, and mostly because most states don't have dry counties like we do in Kentucky. Sure. So every, every year it's, it's difficult to pass an alcohol bill But states watch us to see what we're trying to pass. And if we can't get it done, they'll grab it and they'll pass it in their own legislature and then try to recruit our distilleries away from Kentucky.
0: If you had to pick one thing that's kind of the most exciting thing going on right now, whether it be at a distiller or something that's coming down the pipe, what would you say about Oh, gosh, there's so many. Yeah,
1: there is. I mean, we've, uh, you know, we've we've got uh, really, I guess, the. Bourbon tourism, to me, is still just the thing that nobody ever saw coming, right? I mean, we invented the Kentucky Bourbon Trail 20 years ago in May 1999, and the distilleries had no idea what they had on their hands here. And nowadays, we just finished uh, the Kentucky Bourbon Affair, uh, our our five-day bourbon uh, fantasy camp. I never thought we'd be doing that (laughs) Uh, We've got, you know, 17 Kentucky Bourbon Trail distilleries now. There are bourbon magazines and tours and restaurants and hotels and everything is bourbonized. And I guess that to us is bourbon's not just a drink anymore. It's economic development and tourism and all the other things that go along with it. So to me, that's the most exciting thing that's just expanded so much into uh, our culture. Because you're right, it's been around for a couple hundred years, but it's not until about the past 10 years or so that it's really just taken a hold and evolved into this, not only just a signature industry, but a really economic engine for the Commonwealth.
0: I think we as Kentuckians really take it for granted because I think all of us we know about bourbon, we have our favorite bourbon, but we just don't oftentimes go and visit these places. And so I'm always amazed when I'm you know at some place. I was I remember I was at um, Buffalo Trace doing a story, and there were just hordes of people getting yeah. off a bus, and it's just. I thought, you know, Amber, you've taken this for granted, that this is a great thing right in our backyard. So I always tell people, have you been? Have you gone? Yeah. Go do it.
1: Well, I, I'm a born and raised Kentuckian as well. And, and uh, we take horses for granted and probably take our coal industry sure. for granted. So, yes, I I, know I've taken bourbon for granted. But you're right, 70% of our visitors uh, to Kentucky bourbon show distilleries come from out of state. Out of state. And uh, when we ask the other 30%, you know, usually Kentuckians, they're bringing people here, so they've got visitors coming in <laughs> sure. from out of state, and they're the ones actually bringing them. So I was at Woodford Reserve a couple of weeks ago, and I counted twenty-seven different state license plates. That's awesome! And on a Saturday, and I was like, and I th- thought about going around and taking pictures. Then I thought, no, they'd probably you know arrest me or something for taking pictures, <laughs> a license guy pictures of license plates. But yeah, I mean, it was from all over the United States, and you that's really cool because these people are coming to really kind of soak in our culture here and. Um, You know, we did, a couple years ago, we actually hired a research firm out of Louisville to come in and do an eight-month study Mm -hmm. of the bourbon tourists because we were like, who are these people coming here? We know a little bit about them, you know, just based on spending habits and things, but really, who are they? And that's when we determined 70% of them from out of state. They've got a high household income, usually over $100,000. They're coming and spending three to five days here, so they're staying longer than your typical Kentucky tourist and they're coming in packs. I mean, anywhere between two and four people on average, but sometimes six and eight people coming. And it's everything from just friends getting together to bachelorette and bachelorette mm-hmm. parties. And uh, it, it excused younger millennials coming here because if you think about millennials these days, they really want to see. Where everything is made, they're much into the local food, mm-hmm. you know, seeing everything at. So we're we're better to go to see where your favorite whiskey is made than Kentucky.
0: And you should never drink alone, so that's why you should go and. That's bath, true. Right? Yes, yes. <laughs> don't
1: drink alone and drink responsibly.
0: A few years ago, you and I sat down for a story talking about a lot of these micro mm-hmm. distilleries, and I think that's something a lot of people still really don't understand. You know, they think about. The traditional bourbon having to be aged X amount of years, right? And then you've got folks that are coming along, much like these craft breweries. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about that because and the numbers could have changed, but about not twenty of those in the state. Now? Oh, uh, you probably like got more? yeah, about thirty okay.
1: or more now in the state, and and they seem to be opening up very wow. quickly. Um, yeah, they're and they're real innovators. You know, I mean, Kentucky's always been a very inter- entrepreneurial state, uh, but these craft distilleries. Um, they're coming in and with a completely different take on bourbon and American whiskey. We've got a brandy distillery in Louisville, Copper and Kings. Um, we've got moonshine and flavored whiskeys uh, coming up. Uh, there's a great distillery, B. Roland, down in western Kentucky that's aging in a dark-fired tobacco warehouse, which wow. gives it this really smoky yeah. uh, the, taste to it. So, yeah, I mean, they're, uh, you know, and a lot of those distilleries we talked about a few years ago are just now coming of age. So their bourbon is four years old, six years it's a old. a much
0: shorter period of time, right? Well, it,
1: you know it really depends. Yeah. I mean, most most of them are doing it kind of the traditional okay. Kentucky way uh, and letting Mother Nature just you know take its course. And so if they came here in 2010, 2011, their bourbons are just now hitting the markets. And you've seen Jeff Decree, New Riff, and a bunch of them here in the past uh, month or two release their bourbons and selling out immediately. Um, because people just want to taste the the new stuff, and it is absolutely fantastic. What
0: are you hearing from folks? Because I know you kind of spend a lot of time also talking to folks about that, Um, kind of the old traditional versus this new way. What do people think about it? People
1: love it. They really do. I mean, now, I say that by people inside Kentucky because the one thing I really admire about the craft distilleries in Kentucky is they know they've got a legacy and tradition to live up to, so they're not cutting corners. They're doing it the right way using time-honored traditions and methods the, the main complaint I hear, and it's really not a complaint as much as a concern, is that distilleries outside Kentucky might be trying to do things quicker, cut some corners, get their product on the market a little faster, and that might harm the bourbon category because if you if you buy a non-Kentucky bourbon and you think that's maybe how bourbon's supposed to taste, uh, that might get you into a little gray area there. So, uh, But there are, I mean, I don't want to badmouth craft distilleries all over the country. Oh, yeah. there, are, there, there are distilleries outside Kentucky who are doing a fantastic job. We just wish they'd moved to Kentucky. So. <laughs> we wish they'd come visit us here
0: and see really how it's done, right? Remember back, was it, let's see, 2018? I always think of, of guys like you when Barton 1792 yep. had its house collapse. Is that something that just, I know for a lot of us in the newsroom, we're like, oh, <laughs> all that great product. That was like that Heaven Hill sit.
1: warehouse fire yeah. like 20 years ago. You're sitting there almost crying, you, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're very fortunate that our distilleries are very safe. We've, and mm-hmm. and you know, we had a lot of people call us, a lot of reporters call us and say, oh my gosh, when's the last time this happened? And we were like, it doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't. You know, it's, it, when it happens, it's a very rare occasion. But people value that bourbon. I was in a parking lot one time and saw a guy drop a bottle and literally started crying when it hit the ground. <laughs> And the distillery, I won't name the distillery, was so gracious, they they went in and they gave him a brand new bottle, because he was just in tears, and it was a bottle he had etched and autographed. Oh, and, that's the word. And so, yes, people really value their, their whiskey, when you see that, or we've had tornadoes come through distilleries before, and, and knock barrels down, so.
0: Eric, take me back a little bit of the history, I mean, we, we go back a long way, you know, how does the history of, of bourbon really get going here in the state?
1: Well, that's a great question. And there's a lot of different answers to that, unfortunately. Um, Just the the, the the folklore. The folklore. You know, people ask us who started, who invented bourbon. Well, we really don't know. We're just glad that they did. (laughs) Um, But really, uh, you know, you had a, after the American Revolution, you had a lot of uh, settlers that were trying to settle the frontier. And of course, the, the government, you know, started taxing whiskey. You had the Whiskey Rebellion. And the longest, the farthest away people could get from the long arm of the, the government was the Kentucky frontier. You combine that with Virginia back in the 1770s offering what they called corn writs to anybody that would go settle the Commonwealth of Virginia, which was extending into Kentucky. And if you went and grew corn and they would give you a uh, title to the land. So all these different things and these, you know, Irish, you know, Scottish immigrants coming over, bringing their distilling heritage with them. Uh, they get to Kentucky, they're growing corn. Um, we don't have very good roads, you know, we're mountainous uh, terrain here. And at the end of your your growing season, you have all this leftover corn. What are you going to do with it? So they distill it and turn it into a commodity. And that's, you know, obviously you have Louisville, you know, coming of age. Maysville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, which was called Limestone Landing, was a great port city for us. And uh, you would start to take that whiskey uh, to the, you know, to the ports and, and barrel it and Put it in, you know, down to Ohio, down to Mississippi to take along all the trading, uh, at, trading centers. Well, you know, some people believe that, um, you know, you were, you were reusing barrels, okay? If you had barrels that had pickles or fish or something, you would, you know, you put set them on fire and get rid of the smell. you put the whiskey in there. Bourbon County back then took up 34 Kentucky counties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were stamped, you know, whiskey from old Bourbon County. And you put that on the flatboat and it takes, uh, you know, six months or so to get down there. Just that little time in that charred oak barrel, you know, would age it, and that's how it got its name. Now, like I said, there's probably 50 people who will call in after this and say, he's wrong, it happened this way. Um, but there's, you know, that's kind of just the, from following the timeline of Kentucky's history um, and um, the growth of the bourbon industry because we really don't have a first advertisement for the world's bourbon whiskey until about the early 1800s.
0: You know, with with talking the the history that we have and now moving forward, you know, you have so many people that are are sort of adding to this history. Do you find that people really still crave and they want to know about how we got started? Because I know you spend a lot of time really talking about us but do you find that people still don't really know Yeah, they do
1: i mean when when we did that research project we asked people you know what brought you to kentucky and and after bourbon was number one history was number two and we thought it would be horses or you know something else but um so we actually integrated that to our website and give people a lot of history chances like give the maryton lincoln house here in lexington and all sorts of different things but um, people crave, you know, these days they want to know behind everything that they're eating, drinking, you know, experiencing. And that's one of the reasons that we partnered with the Fraser History Museum in Louisville to create the Kentucky Bourbon Trail Welcome Center. Because not only was it going to offer this white glove bourbon concierge experience where you can go help plan your trip, but they completely transformed their third floor into this how did bourbon get started, you know, uh, transportation and limestone water and corn and everything else. And it's seeing a tremendous surge in guests, and what we like about that is you can go start your experience there and get the basic understanding and then go visit the distilleries, and that gives them more time to talk about their brands and how they fit into that timeline. Uh, so it gives the distilleries a little more brand-building opportunities, but also gives you just a basic one-on-one primer of why Kentucky. Once once these sellers got here, why did they stay, you know, wood, water, and, and grains mainly. But um, history is, a you know, it's etched in everything that we do.
0: Are you surprised when you, you even go um, out, because I know you do a lot of stuff out of the mm-hmm. country, just you know, how many people are talking about oh, this here? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, it used to be fried chicken, right? Kentucky right? Fried Chicken. Now everybody wants to know about bourbon and whiskey. Um, and it is, uh, the global phenomenon is what's really kept us going. I mean, you know, back in the 70s and 80s when bourbon took a downturn, uh, and people started drinking clear spirits. We get asked a lot of questions. Everything is cyclical. Are we going to hit that again? And our answer is, well, back then we didn't have the opening of the global markets like we do now. Now that's a good transition to talk about tariffs because mm-hmm. the tariffs are something that's very concerning to us. But we've just scratched the surface on, um, you know, global exports. We we send about 500 million dollars worth of Kentucky bourbon out uh, every year, and that number has grown double digits for the past 10 years. You
0: no, know, I feel like, you know, talking tariffs is kind of that big white elephant in the mm-hmm. room because as you and I said prior to sitting down, we could talk about something here and by next week it could change. So this is really keeping you guys on your toes, really just trying to stay abreast of what's the very latest and and trying to anticipate, I would assume what could come down the pipe.
1: Right, I mean, we never expected this, you know, this was something that was a retaliatory tariff, you know, based on the steel and aluminum issue, and we are just kind of caught in the middle. So we've been trying to do everything we can to, like you said, stay ahead of it, Um, but the blessing and the curse of Kentucky bourbon is you can't make it overnight. So what affects us today, you may not see on the shelf for six to eight years, really. So our distilleries have been doing a really good job of, you know, so far of trying to absorb as much of that tariff, but now after a year, something that we thought was going to be a short-term problem is turning into a much longer-term problem. So I think you're going to start to see more companies uh, like Brown Forman did recently talk about, well, you know, we've We've absorbed it as much as possible. We might just well have to pass along some of those costs to the consumers, which is really bad for Kentucky.
0: And I feel like in, in my business, it, you hate to say, "Let's wait and see," because we always want an answer. But it really is going to be just that.
1: We, yeah, we've done about everything you can do. We, had a typical trade association, we have reached out. You know, we're on the phone to our, our congressional delegation weekly, if not more. Um, we've met with the vice president. We've met with all members of the administration. And really explain to them, and, and I, I will say Vice President Pence, being from Indiana, knows exactly how much the bourbon industry means to Kentucky, and they've got a lot of distilleries in Indiana right now as well. But those decisions are being made at such high levels that, you know, we're, we're just, a, you know, a minor part of an overall trade program, and, and we get that. But uh, we're still, you know, fingers crossed, you know, hoping that this gets resolved soon and, and doesn't escalate any farther
0: but you're active and you're screaming it as loud as possible so that they yes. will listen wherever that is <laughs> Anybody that will listen to this yes we're is. we're
1: talking to them about this because you know you look at uh, you know we finally got some movement on the e- on um, Canada Mexico which is great uh, but the EU is by far the largest uh, market for our, our exports almost half of all Kentucky bourbon goes to EU countries and so we, now that the Canada Mexico is being resolved we really hope that the administration starts to focus on getting an agreement with the EU because we were at zero tariffs. You know, I mean, much of the growth in the last generation has has been since the EU trade uh, agreements in the mid-1990s. And I don't think you could find a better poster child for free and fair trade than Kentucky bourbon because it has really just catapulted us into a level of renaissance that we've, we haven't seen in since Prohibition.
0: Absolutely. Eric, how does a guy like you, you are, for folks that don't know you, you used to be a roving reporter yourself. I did. Many moons ago. Yes, a lifetime ago. Um, I know you enjoyed it because you still talk about it. Yes. Um, talk to me how you kind of made your path out of that world. And as we say in the news business, made it to the other side.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm living a reporter's dream. I'm, I'm promoting the bourbon industry. Yeah. Yes. So, well, um, again, i born and raised Kentuckian and grew up around, um, you know, just, I guess, you know, alcohol, bourbon, horse racing, things like that. Uh, my dad always had a cocktail at the end of the evening and that was his downtime and, um, when I got to college, I worked at a liquor store in Lexington uh, to kind of help put myself through college. And so that was right about the time in the mid-80s when Kentucky bourbon was starting to come back. Mm-hmm. You had the first single barrels of small batch being released. And we were the last liquor store on the way to uh, the airport. And so we would have a lot of uh, Japanese executives from Toyota that was starting to build uh, come in and ask about whiskey because they never left us. I mean, they have, they, the Japanese love mm-hmm. Kentucky bourbon. And so I had to stay up on all the different bourbons that were coming out and have, make sure I had bottles there and could talk about them. So I continued my love affair with bourbon all throughout uh, my reporting years. And then um, left the newspapers in the, the, the late 1990s, just mainly because I'd, I'd gotten a couple of job offers and I thought I'd just try something different. Well, I didn't know I was diversifying my career enough to get me my, my, my dream job. So in 2007, when um, the president of the KDA Uh, who had been president for, gosh, 16, 17 years, decided to retire. Uh, They were looking at somebody with media experience, uh, government relations experience, and I'd been a, a lobbyist. And, um, and somebody who just loved the industry. and I was just in the right place at the right time. That's so.
0: awesome because now you get to spend every day telling one long story that really <laughs> is continuing, which I think is great. It is. You know? it is.
1: and and you know and it, and it was great hitting it at a point where it was really starting to pick up too, because we haven't slowed down. and and I've got to say the, the stories have been fantastic. They've allowed the association to grow with the industry. We're now a staff of eight full- time. Uh, we just bought a new headquarters in Frankfurt. Uh, we have satellite offices in Lowell and Bardstown and we get to go all around the world promoting the, the gospel of Kentucky Bourbon. So it's it's a great time, really, to be in the industry.
0: If somebody is sitting here and they're listening and they're thinking, wow, I'm one of those folks that have really taken this for granted, how do they even get started going and seeking out all these places? Do they literally just pick one and just go? Yeah, I mean, th-
1: that's a great way. Or just go to our website at um, you know, We've got uh, all sorts of itineraries now from the the beginning you know, consumer to you know, the bourbon aficionado. There's events everywhere. Uh, Lexington does a great job with uh, the Bourbon Society there at, at uh, holding events for, again, just, you know, bourbon geeks like me or just you know people who are just getting into tasting bourbon for the first time so really just you know google kentucky bourbon go on our website and see what events there are the distillery is now um since we've changed some of the laws to let the distilleries have cocktails and things you're mm-hmm. seeing restaurants go in
0: food trucks are huge yeah food trucks
1: too yeah. and you know so they're all having events and different things on weekends father's day weekend uh you got national bourbon day weekends there's all sorts of different things just go out and try it and and you'll probably find yourself you know with a lot of kinfolk that that uh, agree that yeah we we are Kentucky signature spirit
0: and if you just want to get a good education as just happened to me i went into a new uh, wine and spirits store, and you just take a, a walk down oh, yeah. the the dark bourbon section and <laughs> the brown you water section. Wow, there's so many more that you just really have not, I mean, you literally can go down a rabbit hole looking and seeing where all of these different, you know, folks are, are distilling their product. It's really remarkable. I used
1: to, my wife, um, when I was working the sessions, legislative sessions, as you know, are very stressful times. And on Fridays, she would bring home a different bottle and we'd <laughs> sip it and talk about yeah. it, you know, and really kind of, mm-hmm. you know, maybe make a cocktail with it and everything else. If I did that now, it'd be years trying to taste all the different bottles on the shelf. But that's another thing. I mean, Lexington got some fantastic retail stores um, out there that have got the the selections are incredible and even the the rise of vintage spirits now Mm -hmm. is something we haven't talked about you've got a vintage spirits package store in lexington we changed the law in 2017 to allow the sale of vintage spirits because quite frankly we were tired of going to new york and washington and going to these whiskey bars and seeing 1950s and 1960s or pre-prohibition bottles that they'd come to kentucky and raided our attics. And taking and them back it there sold to sold. Else. And so we said, if there's going to be the world's greatest whiskey libraries, they're going to be in Kentucky. Right. And so now you've got the whole rise of, of vintage spirits. So visitors here at Kentucky can really have a, a a tasting through history of all the different brands and see how they compare you know what we have today versus back then so
0: well eric i appreciate your time you live it you breathe it <laughs> know you sip i drink it, it he drinks it <laughs> uh you know i i know better than to ask a guy that works with so many what his favorite bourbon is so i will not do kentucky
1: that bourbon i know i know kentucky that's bourbon. your
0: answer so eric i appreciate it thank you for what you guys are doing and just out there promoting us and really telling the world about
1: well thank us. you well and we always say please drink responsibly drink like a real kentuckian responsibly thank you eric thanks